0: Welcome back to the Valley to Peak Nutrition Podcast. This is episode something. Uh, if everything goes according to plan, this will probably come out in early August. Um, right as folks start to, you know, plan a lot of their summer backpacking trips. And hunting trips, it's particularly relevant for you and I since we've uh, started talking about our own trip that's coming up in Alaska and we've kind of been chatting back and forth about what, you know, we're going to take um, on that. So I thought, why not do a podcast as we start talking about uh, this? And it's also timely because the uh, version 2.0 guide for the nutrition that's coming out on on your guys'
1: podcast is coming out soon too, I think, right? It will be out. Yeah. By the time this one launches, the updated uh, backcountry fuel guide will be available thanks to you, Kyle. But uh, yeah, it'll be ready to go by the time this is out.
0: So this will be uh, just a good recap. And um, we always call these nutrition shorts. Who knows how short this will actually be. (laughs) But I thought, why not do just a simple podcast on the four different areas that really matter from a fueling standpoint? We covered the whole electrolyte thing, we covered the fluid thing. And so generally speaking, the next question that a lot of guys have um, is on the the nutrition front, mainly on like calories, macronutrients, etc. So before we dive super deep into this, and I think first topic we'll cover is going to be just total calories, because that seems to be kind of the foundation that a lot of people build their plans on. Is there anything that you follow now as you start to plan things out? Is there any rules of thumb that you use um, when laying out your nutrition plan to detail out the calorie intake or the macros or any of
1: those things? Yeah, I mean, more so. And that's changed in the last few years. Um, as I was thinking about this, it made me bat like this is I don't know how many years ago, but back when I had my, uh, my blog Soul Adventure, I remember writing an article and I was Getting, you know, kind of nerdy on planning food. And it occurs to me that back then I was much more concerned with things like packability and optimizing my like calorie to ounce ratio and staying under a certain weight to try and save weight because food's clearly one of the most important or, sorry, it's one of the heaviest things, right? As you start to extrapolate a hunt and it's like, well, what's the difference between a two day hunt and a seven day hunt. it's like, well, five more pounds of food. So if you can shave down the weight on your food bag, um, then that theoretically is going to benefit you. But honestly, Kyle, thanks to you. And this has been the years that we've been working together a bit. I've changed that and have realized that, you know, maybe going for the lightest option isn't the best option because yes, it's lighter, but I'm really sacrificing, you know, the energy that my body wants to use or what it performs best on. So, I just want to kind of mention that up front because it's been, as I was thinking about it leading into this, it's been a huge shift in my mindset as much as we talk about trying to be lightweight is to actually accept the quote unquote um, consequence of packing heavier food, but actually realizing it, there's a benefit to it.
0: It's, a, it's an excellent segue because like one of the things that I wrote down in preparation for this was I think, the, I think the biggest misconception, not just in the department of calories, but just overall performance nutrition, especially backpacking nutrition for all of the reasons that you had just mentioned is that a lot of folks are under the assumption that as long as there's adequate calories, they'll do fine. And so they start measuring things like calories per ounce in an effort to get the lightest pack possible. Which I understand. Trust me, like when I'm looking at our nutrition, my nutrition plan, and we're comparing each other's, I'm looking at it thinking, man, how can I get out of this? Yeah. <laughs> like, how can I get out of carrying all of this food? But the greatest misconception is really calories only matter if they're coming from the right things so you could have all the calories on the planet but if they're not from the nutrients that are most tied to fueling the endeavor that you're trying to do those calories won't really matter and on the flip side of that you could have under your calorie goal but the calories that you do bring assuming that there's you know relatively close amount to what your need is under your calorie goal, but from the right type of, of calories, which we'll dive into here in a little bit and still fare pretty well on a trip. So calories do matter overall, but really only if they're coming from the right things. And so as a baseline for calories, because sometimes it's important to, to know a total calorie allotment, because then you can base where you're going to get those calories from. Off of a percentage of those calories. For example, if you know that you needed to take 2,000 calories, let's say, on a trip and you wanted 50% of those calories to be coming from carbohydrate, obviously, it becomes more relevant to get an idea of what your total calorie needs are. Mm -hmm. And we generally base those needs off of multipliers. And those multipliers come off of how intense do you anticipate the activity to be? So as the intensity goes up, the multiplier goes up and like on the, and on the lowest level, which like, so this, you did a really great job creating a table in the, um, in the guide that's going to come out for the exo site. and basically describing it as low intensity, mid intensity, high intensity, and then describing those by mileage or elevation gains. So five miles or less multiply body weight by 16, five to 10 miles, and or a lot of elevation, multiply body weight by 17 to 20. And uh, anything above 10 miles or a significant amount of elevation change, multiply body weight by 21. Have you found those to be reasonably accurate for stuff that you've done?
1: Yeah, I've been looking at that, you know, most recently because of the death hike. So I'm obviously using the the high intensity just because we're going to have crazy mileage, but it it is true. So if I look at like that low, um, intensity, low activity, and it is at 16, that basically puts me for my body weight, a little under 3000 calories. And I can't think of a time that I've gone on a hunt with much less than that. Um, even a hunt that is going to be okay. We're going to be, we're yeah, we're like, we're going to climb up to this glassing point. We're going to be pretty stationary. We're not going to cover a ton of ground and for whatever reason that usually never ends up happening <laughs> we may we anticipate you, on having a chill hunt but it hardly ever actually happens because you go with steve that's why yeah. yeah so but yes like if i look at that on the low end it's like okay for me i should really be carrying you know at least about three thousand calories and i don't track my intake much on a day-to-day basis but i do that pretty much day in and day out, um, just with my activity level in general. So I'm kind of used to being in that range. Um, and then it just gets really crazy as I start looking, like I said, we're looking for the death hike and even going, well, that high intensity modifier basically puts me at 4,000. Um, and this isn't for the death hike, but this is just using that 21 and under high intensity, you say 21 plus, but long story short between low and high, that basically for me puts me in a ballpark of 3,000 to 4,000 calories. And hundred percent that's where I end up with for the vast majority of the hunts, you know, um, something crazy like the death hike, not included in that, but just most, you know, whether it's archery elk hunt, whether, you know, it's going to be a late season deer hunt, doesn't matter what it is. That's kind of the range that, um, I've found I work best in and, you know, just satisfied right? Just very naturally. So it was interesting for me to look at those multipliers and kind of line that up and go, yeah, that's pretty much, you know, the range based on antidotal, like this works for me. Uh, in this case, the, the quote unquote science or the formula aligns with it.
0: Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, it's a perfect example too, of really what makes putting out a guide for the masses hard <laughs> is because there's so many variables that can depend on, where that number lays, like, right. Like, so like for me, for example, taking the death hike, 55, 60 miles, 29,000 feet of elevation gain or, and loss. If I try to multiply my body weight by 21, I'll be way under. And likewise, you know, even, even adding in factors for like, if you have a person who is, let's say 30, 40, 50 pounds above the weight they'd like to weigh, if you use these multipliers, you could potentially be carrying more calories than you could even consume Mm -hmm. much less need, but actually consume. So there's, it makes it hard when broadcasting or when putting out, you know, a guide for the masses to really get a pretty accurate number, but it's a, it's a great starting point. And like we've always talked about, Having the starting point is good, but then going and playing with it, not using it necessarily as complete gospel, but at least an average starting point that you can then go out, you can implement, you can make, you know, uh, you can, you can make changes to it and decide if you need more, if you need less and, and, um, adjust it to really make it
1: your own. Yeah, there is. Yeah. That note just under the table If guys hear this and go look at the guide that you have in there of. Um, basically using your body weight not necessarily what it is like I said if you know you're 40 50 pounds overweight but kind of what you at least in theory should weigh um, for your heights and your really body composition goals like the example in there is you know if you weigh 250 but in all reality your goal weight for um, a realistic ideal weight for your height would be like 220 then use 220 as the body weight multiplier not your current 250 yeah perfect Anything else on that? No, I think it's great, man. It's such a it just takes the guesswork out and it's so simple. It's just such a great starting point in my opinion. Which we um I mean the reason this is
0: version 2.0 is because we had version 1 which I really liked, but there were some calculations in there where I felt like it could be simplified and you know, we were taking we were asking people to take their body weight converted into kilo kilograms and then you're multiplying your body weight in kilos By activity factors and it's accurate um but it can get confusing very quick and so this is a very kind of quick and dirty for the masses a good starting point to begin at and then tease it out from there and so if you got to if you have a good idea the thing that let me rephrase that the thing that i think is the most valuable for having calories is you can check yourself because as you like as we're getting ready to talk about, the distribution of the carbohydrates, proteins and fats are typically dosed by grams. They're typically suggested by grams of body weight to really hone in on your personal needs, right And remember, we're always talking about optimal versus practical. so you don't have to you don't have to be that detailed if you don't want to. But if you're very type A like me and you want to be that detailed, it's typically dosed out by grams per body weight. Since there are calories tied to each gram for each of the three macros, you can check yourself. Am I close to about what I would need? And I think I think another good point is if you take the correct dosage of macros, predominantly carbohydrates for really high output activities, but not enough calories, The worst case scenario over, let's say a five, seven day trip is you lose a pound or two because of the deficit, but if there's sufficient carbohydrates, you will still perform well. The flip side of that is if you bring, if you provide enough calories, but you're insufficient, namely on carbohydrates, you will maintain your weight, but you will hit wall after wall after wall after wall, trying to move through a trip. So where the calories come from, I think are even more relevant than how many total calories you have. First macro, first macronutrient that we'll talk about. Again, there's three macronutrient for those who aren't familiar with them are the carbohydrates, the proteins, and the fats. The first macronutrient we'll talk about is protein. I got a question just this week, uh, from a couple of guys going on the death hike and <laughs> sort of like, um, Uh, this wasn't what they said. So I certainly don't want to insinuate that sort of like, are you sure you're right on the protein recommendation? Because it's (laughs) lower. It's a lot lower than what most of us consume on a day-to-day basis who are trying to do any kind of any kind of anything with activity. We typically dose it high in an effort to build that muscle up to, to increase the muscle so you can increase your performance. Right. So, yes, I got these messages this week Are You, are you sure that's right? Because it's typically lower than the average person thinks. Have you found your protein intake when you go on trips to be relatively low compared to what you do at home?
1: Yes. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a, for me, there's a natural decrease. Um, we've talked in the past in other episodes, of, you know, how consistent I am with what I eat on a day-to-day basis at home, like day-to-day life. And that's relatively high in protein. Um, and some of that's just cause I love meat, for example. So I'll just like, you know, I'll can, I'll have eight ounces of, you know, like ground elk with lunch, for example, which is a lot, it's more than I need in that meal. Um, and then usually have some lean protein with dinner I do the overnight oats that has some whey protein and it. it's like, I get a good amount of protein day to day, but then if I go on a backcountry hunt, oftentimes that's reduced just inherently. Cause I'm not eating eight ounces of grilled steak or ground meat, you know, for lunch on a hunt. Right. So the dinner can be pretty high in protein if I'm, you know, whether it's, I'm doing a packaged meal, like a peak refuel, or I like to make a lot of my own dehydrated meals. Um, I may get that you know, six, seven, eight ounces of ground meat in that dinner time meal, but for sure it's lower during the day. And then depending on what I do for breakfast, um, it can be significantly lower as well. So in cold weather hunts and where I have more time, I may do something like an oatmeal with added protein. Uh, but if I'm honest, like in a say like archery elk hunt, I'm often like wanting to get up and get going. I don't eat something warm, so I'm not really doing that uh oatmeal or something with protein, I may just be doing something much more simpler and quick and on the go. So I would say that hundred percent yes. Not necessarily intentionally, but just kind of naturally based on the consequences of my day-to-day diet versus what I'm willing to pack in the mountains, it is significant significantly reduced. Yeah. And if you if
0: you jump into the guide, um you'll see that yes, it's it's intentionally lower. The two main reasons that you'll find if you run the actual calculation for protein in the backcountry to be, you know, in my suggestion to be lower than what the average person takes at home is number 1 protein's not a predominant fuel source, right? And so we always talk about basically the, the three different macronutrients having one responsibility each. And the game really is you're dosing or you're creating a prescription to accomplish whatever it's designed to do. So you're writing out you know to make sure that you're getting the dose correct for you for energy output for carbohydrates transfer transfer of hormones and nutrients for fat and then recovering and, and, and growth repair for protein so it's not a predominant fuel source so we don't need a ton of it second to that we're in a unique situation where we're not trying to actively grow the muscle whenever we're backpacking or doing anything in the mountains we're trying to recover it but it's not necessarily trying to be to be grown the threshold needed for the growth of a muscle compared to just recovery of the muscle is different. So you don't, whereas, you know, whereas an average person, let's just say like a 185 pound guy without me doing any calculations off the top of my head, roughly may need 140 to 150 grams of protein per day to grow a muscle. You don't need quite that much. You may be sufficient at 100 or 80, 90 in the backcountry, for example, simply to hit that threshold needed to recover the muscle for the next day's hike. So that's why when you start to find that the protein recommendations aren't as high, that's why the, the amount that we generally suggest is like 0.5 grams per pound of body weight up to 0.7. You'll find that as your calories increase, like as, your, as, your, as the intensity of your planned trip, Gets greater or the distance gets greater or that multiplier in calories gets greater. The percentage of your calories coming from protein gets lower. For example, it's not uncommon to plan, you know, like let's, let's say that let's say someone's doing like a 15 mile, they're planning 15 miles each day over the course of a week or something like that on a through backpacking trip. It's not uncommon for only 10% of the total calories to be coming from protein because the protein stays the same in spite of the calorie need going up because the thing that's going up that's going to fuel those extra days is carbohydrate so the percentage that's coming from protein comes down some and so yes whenever people say are you sure that this number is right it is right but hopefully that that hopefully that provides some explanation as to why it seems a little bit lower in spite of your effort seeming so high. Yeah. And it's just hard. Like a, it's yeah. hard to get any that much protein. I mean, could you imagine, you know, if a guy or, or a gal is eating 200 grams of protein at home, trying to even find, I mean, that's a lot of tuna and protein powder <laughs> yeah. and peak refuels or
1: whatever kind of meal you bring, jerky. Yeah. It would be tough to fit that in there. Yeah. I don't know what made me think of this other than the fact that it's like super hot in summer right now. But if if you take protein, as you said, it's a pretty fixed requirement, like, so you take your ratio and it's okay, you need hundred grams. Let's just use a round number. If we pretend that's a beach ball, a hundred grams protein, we throw it in a kiddie pool. It's like, okay, that's pretty good. That's a good size beach ball. Right. But then if you say, okay, well now I'm going to do this crazy effort and I need to like go much higher in calories. You're throwing the same hundred grams of protein beach ball now. in like, a giant in-ground pool. Your total amount has grown. The protein stayed the same. That's why it feels so low. So as you were saying, like ratio wise, it's much smaller. The the same beach ball in the tiny kitty pool feels much bigger, more significant. You take that same beach ball, throw it in this massive, like lap pool, because now you need all these calories for this big effort. You still only need the hundred grams of protein, but just feels like very insignificant. And that's probably where a lot of those, like for the death hike, a lot of these guys are coming from. It's like just doesn't feel right. It feels so small, but it's because it's in relation to this crazy big effort where you need all of these calories and that protein requirement is essentially more fixed for that person.
0: Yeah. And I can, I mean, I can see why you would question it. Frankly, I, if I didn't write it, I would question it, but you know, it's, it is, it is a little bit different. And, you know, like, let's say that, cause an, I think another myth that is really prevalent when I've like first start talking to a lot of people about this, about their individual goals with nutrition, what their plan is going to be. There's a lot of assumption that protein is energy, right? Like, well, I'm going to take more protein. That's a really good energy source. It it's not, as a matter of fact, it's a terrible energy source. It's really great for recovery and repair, but again, it's got one responsibility. The primary macronutrient responsible for giving fuel is carbohydrate so when you look at distance when you look at intensity or when you look at duration which i guess also falls under distance as that increases you want the majority of those calories that calorie increase coming from carbohydrate protein stays relatively stable Unless your lean body mass or unless your weight changes, that's whenever protein needs would probably change. And again, that's going to vary quite a bit from what's typically suggested like on a normal day to day because those numbers can vary depending on what you're what your goals are, how active you are, what your primary focus is. If you do do any type of activity, like, you know, endurance athletes, um, protein needs are going to be different than a strength based athletes protein needs. So there's a lot of nuances when you're talking about a protein, um, goal for someone in a nutshell, really all I do is I plan to have some kind of protein at breakfast, some kind of protein at lunch, some kind of protein at dinner it doesn't mean that i'm purposefully avoiding it in between i'm not going out of my way to go find ways to shove it in i just know that if i'm getting about a 30 gram dose or a protein source at each of those three main meals my total numbers by the end of the day are taken care of yeah that's a good way to put it what do you take for protein because that seems like that seems to be like one of the harder things for people to squeeze in
1: Yeah. It's, um, you know, the end of the day is big, right? Like that recovery, that big end of the day meal. Um, again, whether that's someone using something packaged, like a peak, or as I mentioned, a do it yourself, dehydrated meal. That's where honestly, it's the biggest chunk of it comes by far. Um, and then as I mentioned prior, it's somewhat, um, somewhat dependent, like in mornings I do, if it's a chill hunt, or like I mentioned a cold hunt, I will like to do, Um, that DIY breakfast recipe I've shared through the EXO site has a good amount of protein in it, or, um, I've used like those off-grid oatmeal[s] which have protein in them. So sometimes I get a good kind of hit in the morning, um, throughout the day, uh, some of it, you know, you get trace amounts of protein through like nuts and stuff. Right. So, and I'm generally a fan of a lot of things with nut butter, like, um, the Nature Volley Nut Butter Biscuits oh, they are so delicious. I never get tired of them. So you'll get like some trace amounts through there. Um, and then on, I'm not doing it like for the death hike, but on a good number of typical just hunts, like backpack hunts for a week. Um, I usually have some of my game meat every year done in like dried sausage sticks. Um, Land Jager by a local place. It's like a German stick. And so those are going to give me some meat during the day. Um, that's really good so that's it's usually a you know in the morning coming from that oatmeal with some protein the big meal at the end of the day and then either some of that dried meat or kind of those cumulative trace amounts through things like nuts during the day i've had those
0: land yogurt so good steaks from you <sighs> Man, they are (laughs) – my wife is a connoisseur of things like that, like charcuterie type of sausages and um, jerkies and things like that. She – I don't even know how many I got out of the the last package you sent. She (laughs) hammered those things. Another buddy of ours had um, made some antelope jerky don't know that i saw any of that <laughs> but <laughs> anyway all that to say like i'm pretty sure that you're that that stick because it's it's made by if i remember right, you told me that it's like a local german butcher does he do it
1: yeah Gosh, yep. man i'm it's, telling you they were so good I've, they were like, good i'll make my own jerky and stuff at home but that's one of those things that even though i pardon me wants to like oh i want to make my own sticks or sausage or whatever i just don't fool that because that stuff's so good i usually get a batch every year
0: yeah, it is good. And I'm kind of the same way. I'll usually do um, protein in my oatmeal in the morning. Uh, tip: I've gone to just dehydrating all of my own meals in the last few years, but whether it was a packaged product or my own, that's typically the source in the evening. Um, and then at lunch... It'll vary. It kind of depends on what the setup is. I mean, a lot of times, whether it's backpacking or it's hunting, sometimes we'll like we'll have a base camp and we'll go out from there in the morning all day to different places. And in that scenario, especially in the fall, like you've got the luxury of making an like an actual sandwich of some kind. You just put, throw it in mm-hmm. your pack and it stays cold all day. That's really nice. Um, but if it's not like like we were talking earlier about the death hike, what what are we going to do midday? um you know i might rely on i used to have to rely on like when when it came to tuna packets all that was available was a tuna packet and then you were on your own to find you know a sriracha packet a or sriracha something. yeah a sriracha packet or mayo or man anything just anything to, to add to that would have been great yeah. uh, but now they make little uh, it's not even a kit because there is there are kits but and then there's like kits with crackers these are just the same type pouches that's already tuna salad. They make a chicken salad and then they also make a barbecue pulled pork.
1: Those are tough to rival. And, you know, Dude, I literally just saw we were texting back and forth today and I saw those like, did not know that existed. I'm totally going to the store and trying it.
0: Yeah. I so, you know, in the in the warmer months, like that's what I'll do midday and occasionally, you know, throw in jerky or um um cheese sticks one thing that i do really like that i've told quite a few people about and this will be like you know some 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 folks don't eat meat um is edamame so i will Mm -hmm. buy dried and salted edamame to throw in my own trail mix and the reason i like that is it's it's, it's, you can get, I think it's 13 grams of protein in about a quarter cup serving. And the, the, the good thing about soy is it doesn't obviously require any refrigeration in that form. It's got a complete amino acid profile, which is nerd speak for it has everything you need to recover a muscle nuts by themselves, grains by themselves, beans by themselves don't necessarily have that ideal profile these do so i try to throw you know a handful of those into a trail mix just to bolster midday protein intake
1: if i feel like i'm sitting low edamame is good but it, it makes me thirstier than anything else on the face of the earth i think yeah i mean i definitely use it for
0: the protein qualities more than the taste <laughs> yeah it's good like that salts a lot of times
1: will hit the spot
0: yeah yeah i but i i can see where people are like no nah, i'd rather just try to get it in the main meals the long, long the, the you know the short and long of this is i think you'll be fine if you're including some protein at the three main meals i don't think you need to go through crazy effort trying to find all of these ways that you can pile in a, a, a bunch of protein in any big trip
1: yeah nor does like every quote unquote like snack have to be a protein bar yeah yo know, yeah i loathe bars too but that's a that's another story <laughs> on to the good
0: stuff carbohydrates um so we spent a lot of time talking about these in the past and what's the, you know this is where you get back into the optimal versus practical conversation optimally speaking yeah we've got this range of hitting you know a certain amount of grams based on your body weight also dependent on endurance also to really heavily dependent on timing, right? You, you, could have the, you could have all of the carbohydrates you need with you, but if you're not consuming those at regular intervals, you'll still hit the wall. And once you hit the wall, it's hard to make up from recovery for that. Like one of the greatest complaints that I hear people make is, "Ah, I just don't feel like stopping to eat. My argument to them is, well, you're going to be stopping to eat if you don't preemptively stop to eat anyway. You have to really stay on top of resupplying those fuel stores. So general recommendations like two to four grams per pound of body weight, if you're on the nerd speak side of things, do you you typically – just play nerd and then ask me a question. <laughs> it wasn't directed to you. If you, do you typically, how do you plan this out? Because it's the bulk of what's in your food pack. It, you can get lost and it can keep, seem kind of overwhelming. Do you have any sort of structure or strategy you apply to this to plan? Not only what you're going to bring, but at what intervals during the day you're going to eat them?
1: Uh, yes and no, depending on, yeah, again, like the hunt, the expected intensity, et cetera. Um, so for sure, like kind of already covered, like for me, naturally protein is going to come more, um, at the beginning of the day and end of the day. And then some of that, you know, supplementary protein scattered throughout, I find, Just very naturally that the stuff higher in carbohydrates, which help fuel performance for the active pursuit, or also just naturally hit my palate better and agree with me better during an active pursuit. It's almost like the body knows what it's doing. Um, So things, you know, things a little bit more sugary, a little bit more junky, just tend to be easier for me to eat and then happen to be the better fuel for a while I'm doing something more active. Um, so I just find that that works out super well. I have, I don't know if I've mentioned it here before, but like going back several years ago to our hundred mile death hike was the first time I was super intentional about, let me make sure I have some carbs like on board before, say like a big, you know, 1500 foot climb that's nice and steep or whatever. And certainly have noticed a difference. But again, if I kind of default to just listening to my body a bit and kind of what sounds good, Um, it tends to just work out, man. Like I tend to want that bigger, higher protein meal at night, uh, or in the morning. And then throughout the day, I I don't typically do like bigger meals. I just more kind of snack throughout the day on a normal hunt. And a lot of times it's just those easier to digest carb sources. Yeah. I mean, that's true
0: of me a little bit too. What I I mean, so you know you you can you can take the calculation of two to four grams per pound of body weight and again like just thinking logistically of what that looks like you're veering more towards the 2.0 grams if you're feeling like this is going to be relatively i don't want to say easy i mean no hike's easy but it's not going to be a, a significant challenge for me but then you're leaning heavier on the four grams um, per pound of body weight if it is going to be a challenge for you and they can even go higher than that right like some suggestions even suggest as high as like 12 grams per kilo and if we do the math on that you're venturing more towards like the six to eight grams per pound which is a lot what i have found to be the most simple is like if you go back if if someone's interested i think it might be i don't remember the episode number but we did one on endurance fueling Mm -hmm. and in there we talk about the rule of 60 which basically says During intense efforts, you're trying to get about 60 grams of carbohydrate in for every 60 minutes you're active and you're repeating that every hour on the hour. Hiking is a little bit different in that sometimes you're climbing steep ascents, sometimes you're going along on flat ground. So I found it to be pretty accurate that you're aiming for about 60 grams every one to two hours, give or take. I create basically a timing, a a schedule based on time, what time do I feel like we'll probably be up and going? What time do I anticipate us stopping? And then I just plan every two hours, 60 to 90 grams of carbs. And I fill in not only where that's going to come from, but how many grams that's going to be. And whatever my total number winds up being at the end of the day is what it is. Maybe it falls in that two to four gram range. Maybe it's higher. I I really don't care about the total number because I know that I've got sufficient fuel each hour throughout the course of the day. And that's going to serve you better than having a total at the end of the day and kind of just eating it at random random times during the course of the day. Logistically, I've found it easiest to kind of plan to lose structure around that but then i've got some gap fillers simply to save space so like thing a big thing of gummy bears as well or any type of you know any type of quick digesting carbohydrate like that and one of the one thing that i probably favor and lean on the most especially in in hotter months and we talked about this on the last podcast is electrolyte powder i like those more as a quick carb source um, than the actual electrolytes in them because they just pack so small. I mean, they pack up into this little bitty square and it's a hundred grams of carbohydrate that I can dump in a water bladder and just carry with me. And it makes it very, very easy to hit that number. Whereas, you know, if you're trying to pile nine bagels in a Ziploc baggie to hit your carb intake, it's going to take up so much volume in the pack that it's logistically
1: unrealistic to take. Any other thoughts on that? No, I think it's great. I've, um, I think breaking that up, you know, you were more descriptive and in, in your intention there. I don't necessarily count the calories, but what I will do is just make sure, or sorry, count the the carbohydrate grams, you know, in a time frame, but I do make sure throughout the day, I just don't have long stretches where I haven't had calories on board. Right. So, and especially on a hunt, like there's been times I've started chasing a bull. And I think it's going to be this half hour pursuit and it turns into a three or four hour ordeal. And even in the midst of that, like you said, I try and have something handy where it's like, yeah, I don't want to stop or pull my pack off or dig out some food or whatever. But, um, that's where it's super handy to have just a quick snack or gummy bears or something kind of like in a hip belt pouch where you can just get something in you quick. And I just try to make sure I don't go. Yeah. Like you said, for more than two hours at the most without, um, Without having some calories in
0: me, yeah, it's and like even thinking of like you were talking about you, you know, you think you're gonna stop in 30 minutes, that turns into three hours. I had uh, like as we've been preparing to go um, to Alaska, had quite a few training hikes, some of them lasting seven hours, and so I don't have time between work and kids and a life to stop and eat that often. So I started stuffing like part of the day's meals in the lid of my pack that I could reach. So I didn't have to stop. I would just unzip the lid of my pack. I would pull something out, eat it, walk. Time comes up, pull something out of the lid of my pack, eat it and walk. So there's something at least within arm's reach. And I think the death Hike's a prime example of this. Like if you're with a group and you're trying to make time, you're trying to cover distance, let's say there is no goal, uh, like hunting, you know, hunting's kind of just this, there is really is no end point you're not trying to get anywhere it's just an all day endeavor that you're you're just enjoying the death hike you're with people there's an end point there's a time limit and you don't want to be you know you don't want to be the cap or the bottleneck to the group yet at the same time you know yourself and that you will need to eat at a regular interval so access to stuff that's quick until the group does stop stuffing it in your lid stuffing it in your hip belt pouch are some really great things that have that have served me really good to know that, okay, even if the group doesn't feel like stopping, I don't have to worry or panic that I'm going to be drag and tail because I haven't had time to stop and eat knowing I need to eat every, every so often. So yeah, logistically, that's been a game changer for me just to make sure that I've got something coming in regularly without
1: having to make the other group wait.
0: We'll see how well it works.
1: <laughs> well, in the de- historically on the death hike, we've always, um, I don't say we always like it's a hard and fast rule, but definitely we've followed a pattern. Um, again, when I say we, not everyone hikes together, or does the same thing, but in general, we will stop every couple hours. Right. And yes, for food, but also to give your feet a break or to fill up on water or whatever. Um, that's usually a pretty good rule of, Every two to two and a half hours, let's take 15 to 20 minutes because yes, we're trying to be, we're trying to cover ground and be efficient with time. But when you start talking about an 18 hour day, it it's more efficient to actually take regular smaller breaks than to have an 18 hour day and go, yeah, we're going to stop you know, for an hour because um, then you just don't want to feel like getting up and get moving in. So we try mm-hmm. and do more frequent, smaller breaks. Um get water, get food, maybe change socks, roll out the calves, something like that on a consistent basis. So hopefully that's part of your experience and you're not too frantic about having something accessible for long stretches. (laughs) Favorite high carb snack. Mine. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like for sure. Gummy bears are part of it. I like having some, some variety there. Um, It, it just depends. Honestly, I try to have some variety, um, and kind of see what I'm feeling like. So just looking at, you know, my list I've yes, have some gummy bears. I've got some tailwind for the times I don't feel like, um, eating, but just want to have that kind of consistent source, um, some honey stingers. And I, well, when I say honey stinger, it could be a different version or brand of strop waffle. Um, some fruit, like fruit and cereal. We've talked about before, like mixing dehydrated bananas with some golden grams or dehydrated, uh, apples with some other cereals, a great one. I, my wife makes this killer homemade dessert. It's almost like Rice Krispie treats, but instead of Rice Krispies, she uses golden grams and then adds dark chocolate. So it's like with melted marshmallows, delicious. And I was actually at the store and they had these packaged like golden graham s'mores bars. Um, The kind of great junk food you eat when you're a kid. Um, But perfect for uh, perfect for something like the death hike. So I got some of those. So yeah, definitely some variety. I mean, it's just one of those things where you could have, or at least for me, even though my day-to-day diets super consistent and I can eat the same thing over and over and over again, 300 days a year, definitely on like a multi-day hunt I, I, need some variety and my food bag may look super consistent day to day, but I just need variety through that day or have the option to go, Oh, this just sounds a lot better than that right now. Um, cause that certainly happens and I'm more, a little bit more particular, both on higher output hunts as well as just for whatever reason in warmer weather, sometimes stuff doesn't sound as good or as appealing. Um, so yeah, just have some variety. Yeah, there's a lot to lot to be said for um,
0: variety. I agree with you. Mine, probably, oh man, well, it's easy if you've got the ability to make it the humble PBJ. Yeah, I love, it's hard to beat. I love a PBJ, but obviously that's not going to get you very far for
1: the death hike because you're traveling
0: by air and uh everything else
1: yeah we were just traveling and so i didn't have my typical overnight oats but i was uh, a couple mornings in a row like after a run i was having a bagel with peanut butter and honey it's like i forgot oh, how good that is man know, such a I, good combo
0: i think we've talked about this i bought um we both i think bought the little individual honey packets yep i haven't had honey in a long time that has been so good to have on these hikes because I don't know. I just forgot how good it was. Mm-hmm. All right. So the last macro nutrient to cover is fat. I don't do anything specific with fat. I mean, it's – so for me, most of – so I, there's always a trail mix, right? And so the nuts that are in trail mix are not protein based; they're fat based. That happen to have some protein. So between those mm-hmm. and some of the just intrinsic fat that's in some of the products that I'll take with me, like Pop Tarts, is a prime example. Yeah. You know, you got like 16 grams of fat just in the pastries alone. So I'm not I'm not going out of my way to make sure that there's fat there because it's very likely that that is covered through just the food
1: choices that I'm making. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's same for me. I mentioned those Nature Valley nut butter biscuits. So obviously, nuts or nut butter is going to be a fat source. I'm getting something there. Um, I'll do those big sir bars pretty frequently. That has a good amount of fat. The pop tarts I do pretty consistently. There's more fat. Um, typically, like you, uh, another trail mix. So there's some more coming from nuts there. Um, sometimes I just do the good old Snickers. Like that's one of those things that is pretty consistently, um, sounds good and is, uh, a good mix of fat and carbs. So if I just like get, if I'm zero intention on fat, it basically through those things, it's just like, it's covered. Yeah. Same. So
0: there's the down and dirty version of calories, proteins, carbohydrates, and fats. I will be sure that I link um, the new guide so guys can guys or gals can check that out. And of course, if you have any questions, you can always email me at info at v2pnutrition.com or um, I can connect you with Mark. If you have any questions for us, please send them in. Anything you want to add? No, man. Sounds great. All right. Have a good day. Thanks for checking out the episode this week. Everything Mark and I referenced will be linked in the show notes, which is everything from uh, the free guide that we put together for the XO Mountain Gear podcast, as well as some of the foods that we've referenced. Maybe you've tried them, maybe you haven't tried them, but uh, I'll link them in the show notes so you don't have to go searching for them or wondering if you found um, the right thing like Mark and I were talking about. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider taking a couple of minutes to leave it a review or like it or subscribe to it. And if you have topics that you would like to hear us cover on the podcast, feel free to shoot those over to me at info at v2pnutrition.com. I'll link that email in the show notes as well. So if you do have a topic, you can just send it. You don't have to go making an email special in your email app or whatever. Uh, We just had a few folks graduate the program. So if you're interested in uh, learning more about nutrition and building a plan tailored for you, you can always give us a shout anytime. There's details about that on the website as well. And that is going to be a wrap on this week. Stay tuned for the upcoming podcast. We've got a few bonus episodes that are going to be released throughout the month of August and September. So make sure that you subscribe to this show so you don't miss any of those if you're interested in checking those out. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll talk to you again soon.